Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of So What Else. I'm your host, Caitlin. As you know, So What Else is a place for sharing stories. So today we have Manda Carpenter on to share her story with us. She is the author of Soul Care to Save Your Life. And Manda says it really early on in this interview. She says, listen, early on in my marriage, I was unfaithful to my husband. So that is what we talk about today. We talk all about kind of what got her there, how she kept it hidden for a while, what helped her to bring it to the light, how her and her husband worked through that. She talks about therapy. She talks about her childhood. She talks about foster care. There's so much here. Listen, I don't want you to hear this intro and think, oh, okay, infidelity in her marriage. Fine. That's not part of my story. I don't need to listen. I really encourage you to listen. As I always say, I just think that we can get so much out of other people's stories. There's so many things we can connect to. But also, Manda calls it out in this interview. She says, listen, we're all hiding something, right? Maybe it's just jealousy or whatever, but we all kind of want to appear better than we are. And this practice of confession that she, you know, talks a lot about in this interview and in her book and, you know, just how to be radically honest, it can be so healing for us and truly heal our souls and our relationships and all of the things, okay? So I really encourage you to listen to this. Amanda is so bold and just amazing in sharing her story. There's also an audiobook of Soul Care to Save Your Life. So if you're an audiobook listener, go to audibletrial.com slash and you can get a free month and a free download and you can help out the podcast, okay? So that's audibletrial.com slash S-W-E, all right? I know you're gonna enjoy this interview. All right, Manda, welcome to So What Else. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is so fun. We were both doing like the mom thing this morning. Like you hopped on and you were like, my son had a doctor's appointment and then I dropped him off. Like for us, it was like my daughter had a conference this morning and now my three-year-old is in theory napping upstairs and my husband is not here. So let's pray she doesn't bother us. I love it. I get it. I've been there. <laughs> it's the mom multitask. Yes. We're, we're just like, I mean, our husbands, no offense, but like could not do what we do. No, listen, it's like I, my husband is so involved. I love him. He is on top of it. He's not at all like, I don't know. That's your job. Like so much so, but still like I was, I forget what happened. I was gone for like two school days in a row for something. And like the list that I had to leave him, like I was like, drop off for this one at this time, make sure she has her lunch and her water and this, this one, this time, like this. And this is make, don't forget to sign the checklist because they make you sign the checklist when you come in. And also she has to put her snack in the box. And he was like, holy crap. Like he was like, this is too much information. But what do you, this is how it is. I know. Well, it's funny. I would say my husband's the same way, like super dad, super involved. Totally. But, um, two things that come up for me are, we were talking about last night on the couch together. I always have like 30 tabs open in my brain. And so yes. I'll say to him like, Hey, I need, I need some time to like close some tabs. He knows exactly what that means. That means I just I need like to like that. get some things off, close the tab, move on. Right. Right. And then the other thing that in relation to what you were just saying, that makes me laugh is whenever I've left town and my husband's on his own, I'm like, Oh, like, did he get to daycare on time? He's like, yeah. I'm like, Oh, did you remember his jacket? He's like, no, but like, at the end of the day, all these little things, these tabs that are open in my brain, all these little things that I think matter, they really don't. And my husband's I know. like, you're creating more work for yourself. And I like, know. I really am. But I don't know. I That's just how I'm wired. So. I, me too. And I can't help it. Like, I will literally find myself like laying in bed at night thinking through like, oh, wait, I forgot to check the temperature for tomorrow. I wonder which jacket I should send the girls in. Like, do you think that like they need their full blown winter coat or their fall <laughs> coat? Like Scott would never think about that. Totally. Like He's like, whatever. Like, they're not going to die. And I'm like, true. But I don't want them to be cold. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I know. I know. It's a and somehow thing. they survive. It's so true. It's so true. They do survive. So you're in California right now. Yes, we are in LA. It's Ugh. um, it's our, it's you know what? We're in November and it's still like 70s. I have a light jean jacket on because oh this morning it was my. it was chilly. But yeah, oh I please, it was like 20s here this morning. Yeah, I literally we got in the car this morning and I was like, I feel depressed. 
And yeah. even my my husband's from Colorado, so he like likes the cold, whatever. And even he was like, this was a very rapid <clears throat> decline in temperature. But I just finished your book, and your <gasps> book, you were living in Chicago. Yep, yep. What so brought you to LA? The Midwest. Okay. Yeah, we're born and raised in the Midwest, uh, lived in Chicago for about five years, and then we moved to LA. Gosh, almost two, it's going to be two years. Oh, wow. Um, we moved here because my husband works as a songwriter and producer in the pop music industry. Oh, so that's fun. Sound panels behind me. Yes. Yeah. Do you get to go to like fabulous things like events? You know, um, occasionally I would say it's not as glamorous as it sounds. I'm sure um, nothing is. And, and then also I'm an introvert. So I'd rather, I'm like a homebody who'd rather stay in. So I yeah, kind yeah. of get out of those types of things. But I actually wrote about a specific time where we were in LA. We weren't living here yet, but we were visiting for yes. um, an event related to Eric's work in music. And I've, I, LA and culture and life here has just been kind of wonky. And I feel like we're finally, mm-hmm. or I, I shouldn't speak for my husband. Like I finally feel like I'm finding my place and finding my groove and feeling like I can show up authentically as myself in mm-hmm. a culture that's just very different than the Midwest. I was just going to say, I mean, the culture shock of that I'm sure is like beyond that yeah. like LA, that's like a whole animal and coming from the Midwest, yeah. which is just like more casual, I'm sure laid back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's certain things I'm like loving. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people are creative. There's, yeah. there's, there's essentially no such thing as weird. Like people, yes. I mean, when people come to visit from our hometown, you see dogs dressed really funny or people <laughs> will dress. And so, so essentially to, to them, it's weird, but to us, like nothing's weird, right? Or, yes. or you meet someone and they tell you what they do for a living. And and then they're like, but I'm writing this film on the side. And yeah, it's yeah, about totally. this. And it's just so fun. So yeah. I I love that. That's yeah. been like super cool. That's really cool. That's really, really awesome. So listen, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Who are you? We know you're a mom. We know you're a wife. Like, who are you? And yeah. like, we'll get into it. Yes. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Amanda, but most people just drop that first day. Call me Amanda. I'll answer to either. I am, you know, gosh, it's like so funny, these intros, but I always describe myself as a writer, a speaker, and an advocate. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a neighbor and I actually put that as part of like my identity and and kind of my bio online even because it's so uh, important to me that I'm an intentional neighbor. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I went to school to be a public school teacher. I did that for years. And then when I quote unquote retired, because I realized I loved kids and I loved teaching, but I didn't necessarily love them in the same space for a, a measly $30,000 a year. Like, Oh, I just, Hey, yes. I was, I like, was a teacher I too. Yes. Oh, Preach. I, yeah. <laughs> mad, mad respect for all teachers and people totally. who work in the school system in any way. It is brutal to- and it is really, really important work though. Yes. Um, so for me, what started as like a year off turned into now what I mm. do today, which is just full-time writing, speaking and advocating. So I, I, a lot of my advocacy work is um, for people in, in different ways, but I really have a focus in child welfare and I'm really passionate about partnering with families who are in crisis. So, Mm -hmm. you know, parents and their kids during the time of need, a lot of times that intersects with foster care. So, um, yeah. And we, my husband and I have been foster parents for, uh, several years. We did it for four years in Chicago. We're licensed here. We've had 16 different foster children in our care. And then we have our one bio son, Shia, who will be two in a few months. So, I love that. I love that. I am hoping that we're able to get, I have some stuff I want to ask you about foster care and stuff. I hope we have time yeah. today to get to it after your story. If we don't, you'll, we'll just have to have you back another sure. time. Sounds right? great. Sounds I love awesome. it. So listen, I love that your book, you know, it's, it's non All my listeners know this. I, before starting this podcast was very open about the fact that like, I really struggle to read nonfiction. Like I will devour a fiction novel in two days, no issue. And then it's like nonfiction is harder for me. Now, since starting this podcast, I have gotten very good at it because I feel passionate about reading all the books of my guests who come on and my life has been made better for it. So I'm like, so thankful. This was like a personal growth journey for me, but your book Mm -hmm. reads very memoir-esque. So it really was like, a very easy read for me. You know what I mean? Like a very quick, there's lots of stories in there. I loved I'm, it. 
so happy to hear that. Yeah, that was my hope was not to come across like someone who is trying to be an expert and teach you everything and let me come at it from, you know, that place, but more so like, let me get off my high horse. Let me just tell you the stories of my life and how I learned all these lessons the hard way. Uh, so it's actually, yeah, I'm glad to hear that it was an easy read for you. I love it. And I feel like you are such a perfect guest for this podcast because we always say, so what else is a story-based podcast, right? We're not, we've done topical stuff, right? But generally I just have someone on who has a story to share, you know, and like what, tell us about what you went through and what did you learn? You know what I mean? And I think that that's really, really powerful for people to hear. And so I'm really excited for you to share your story with everyone today. So let's get into it. Why don't we kind of start with like, you were married and then like, take it from there. Sure. Yeah. I know. It's like stories within stories, right? We all have a million million stories that make up who we are to this day. And um, I know what you're referring to is that I hit it hard in the very first chapter of the book. You do. I um, pretty quickly uh, get to a place where I share with everyone that um, early in my marriage, I was unfaithful. So, oh boy. Okay. So my husband and I got married and I would say that probably what had always been a struggle for me, but it wasn't very consequential because I hadn't been married before, Mm -hmm. sort of like reared its head, right? So this thing that was within me, this sort of what I didn't realize at the time, but can so clearly see now was an addiction to this affirmation from men, which was directly tied to daddy childhood wounds, those daddy issues, classic psychological textbooks, you know, everyone knows when I say that. Absolutely. Um, I would say that like that was probably always an issue. Um, when I look way back in my story in my life, I see, you know, I would, I was always dating. I was never single. I, there was always overlap in relationships, right? These are red flags, but for whatever reason, I wasn't really aware of that. Didn't, uh, do anything about that. And so when I finally married Eric, my husband, we're still married today, just to kind of Spoiler alert, we stay married. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When when we got married, though, a lot of things happened. Um, And these aren't excuses to justify the choice that I made, uh, which we can talk about. But what I will say is like six months into our marriage, my husband was like, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. Mm -hmm. And at the time, that felt like a huge deal to me. Like I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to get divorced. Right. Um, I was also still like very immature in my faith. And so I didn't know what that meant, but I I just assumed it meant the worst. Totally. Spoiler alert again, it didn't. But um, that led to some hardships. Also, we were still living in the hometown that we're both like from that area. We didn't, we didn't have good boundaries with family. And we mm-hmm. just, we just really struggled. Like I hear of a lot of people saying their first year of marriage was bliss and truly was like, yeah, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Ours was not. It was mm-hmm. like, I, we had such a fun and easy dating relationship and the marriage induced reality. Mm-hmm. Like life is hard. We're not on the same page. There's external factors that made it difficult too. And so very quickly when, uh, um, a guy that I was in, uh, a platonic relationship with, I won't get into the details just for his identity, but, um, we knew each other through more of a work setting. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he and I just, we grew closer, right? Our friendship started to grow deeper. And again, unbeknownst to me in real time at that point, I didn't recognize what it was, but now I can call it for what it is. And that, that is, it became an emotional affair. Okay. And so this person, like I realized he, he was filling me up. He was telling me Mm -hmm. how wonderful I was. He was quote unquote, meeting all of these emotional needs that I felt like my husband wasn't and that my marriage was not fulfilling. And I didn't really think a lot of it at the time because I don't know. I think we just, at least for me, I tend to justify. I was just like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just Mm -hmm. like harmless flirting. Um, And then it turned physical and it was Mm -hmm. a one-time thing. um, But with the moment that it became physical, it was like someone flipped on the light switch and Mm -hmm. I was exposed. And I was like, what the heck just happened? Mm -hmm. How did I get here? Yeah. There's the intro. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. All right. So that's a lot. If we, if we have time, I would love to circle back later to like you mentioned 
daddy issue, things like that, for sure, that for played sure. in because I think that that's so important. You know what I mean? For people. And this is why I think therapy is so great, right? Because everyone yep. has their stuff. And um, I think that that's also really interesting. Like you said, you didn't realize that you had these like tendencies or whatever you want to call them until you were married, which I think is such a lovely, and I mean that legitimately and also kind of sarcastically, like it's like a lovely thing about marriage is that it will expose your crap. Like you yes. will not escape it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's going to bring it out. So totally. for you, this was the situation. So after things turned physical with this guy, did you like, cut it off right away or what mm-hmm. was the situation there? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, things became physical, then it's over with. And I'm, I'm left going, what just happened? How in the hell did I get here? Yeah. Sorry, just to be frank. Totally. Um, and, and the way I describe it in the book even is like, no one wakes up one day and says, you know, today's the day I'm going to cheat on my spouse. Totally. Or, today's the day I'm going to get a DUI. Or yeah. today's the day I'm going to commit tax fraud or whatever. Like people don't wake up and decide that. It is a series of really small, tiny yeses along the way that lead to the big yes, right? Totally. It's, and so that's exactly what happened to me is all of these things that I justified, red flags that I ignored, that, you know, Again, it's so clear now because hindsight totally. is 2020, but at uh-huh. the time it wasn't. So um, I cut it off, uh, end the relationship, leave the the job I was in, um, just fully turn away from the sin. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll use that language in this moment. Mm-hmm. However, I uh and and I would, you know, kind of talk to God about this because I I at the time even was still like a believer, which I know complicates it even more because I yeah. had this guilty conscience. Mm-hmm. And I knew what I had done was wrong, but I, I believed that adultery or infidelity was like this unforgivable sin. And yeah. so what ends up happening is I kind of, I just was like, okay, well, no one has to know as long mm-hmm. as I don't do it again. And I turn away from this bad behavior, I can just like move on with my life and like mm-hmm. leave that in the past. If Eric finds out, it's only going to hurt him. Yeah. And he's only going to find out if I tell him. Well, I don't have the courage to tell him like, mm-hmm. right. So you see how the yes. mind is spiraling here. So totally. my feelings confused me. My mind was trying to justify, but what happened was I grew very depressed. I grew mm. very insecure um, because what I realized too, is that integrity is a prerequisite for security. Mm. You cannot experience true security if there's not integrity in your mm. life. So people would yeah. even say, Amanda, you're such a great friend or you're such a great teacher or you're such whatever, like compliment mm-hmm. me or, or say nice things about me that I should have been able to receive as true praise and affirmation of who I am, but I couldn't. Because yeah. in the back of my mind was always a little voice that said, if only you knew, mm-hmm. if only you knew. And so when day by day, you kind of harbor a secret that is literally eating you from the inside out, Mm-hmm. What happens is that the longer it's a secret, the more the shame feeds, right? Mm-hmm. So shame breeds in secrecy. And so I was so ashamed. Yeah. And every now and then I would have these moments where I was like, I, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him. Because here's the, here's the little side note. I, I wanted to be with my husband. Okay. I didn't yeah. Want it. I didn't want to be with this guy. Like, I think that's maybe a unique or not unique to... I, no two stories of marriage or infidelity are the same. But what right. I will say is I know a lot of people who, when they go through something like this, they're still trying to discern if they want to be with their spouse. Right. For me, that wasn't the question. My husband yeah. was this amazing guy. He hadn't done anything wrong. It wasn't for a lack of his doing. This was a me issue. Uh-huh. And um, and I knew that. Like It was yeah. very clear after things got physical and I landed in that, what the heck happened? Why am I here? What have I done with my life place? I realized, something's broken in me. The problem is that instead of going and seeking help immediately, which I did end up doing, I believed that not only was something broken within me, but that it couldn't be healed, that Mm. I was damaged, that my life was forever going to be this way. And I was just going to keep making a mess of it and making destructive decisions. And when you're in that kind of a headspace and you buy into those lies, it's so depressing. So... Like, I can't emphasize that enough. What happened for me was I did end up going to a doctor because of feeling so depressed. Uh, Didn't tell them what I had done or what had happened or about these thoughts that were spiraling in my mind. 
rather, I just kind of kept quiet. And when they asked me those questions, you know, about like, do you think about harming yourself? It's like, yes, all these things. And so what they did was they prescribed medication. Yeah. And in some ways it took the edge off, it numbed me, but because I wasn't clinically depressed and I was dealing with more situational depression. Right. Totally. Like a situation had caused this. And the fact that it was unconfessed and undealt with is what what was just sure. Like no amount of medicine can fix the fact that you're harboring this secret. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I'm all for medication. This is not totally. an anti-med stock at all. Uh, I just want to make that clear. But yeah. but it wasn't enough for me because at the end of the day, yeah, it was a situation that I needed to deal with and to reconcile. Yeah. Um So it was actually 11 months from when it happened, almost a year before I told. And the way that I told was um, I had met a mentor along the way. So kind of just a backup. I ended up working at Mm -hmm. a church. Okay. So I'm no longer like living in sin in the sense that I'm no longer in this extra relationship outside of my marriage. Right. Um, I had moved on. I turned away and I was still me, right? I'm me. I just have this thing in my past and um, I'm working at this church and life is really good, except for the fact that I'm struggling with thoughts about not wanting to live anymore. But I was also really good at hiding it. I know this sounds like kind of bizarre to explain to people, but um, depression doesn't always look a certain way. I cannot emphasize that enough. I think we saw that when um, one of the former Miss USA or Miss Universe, I forget when she, I totally um, tragically, know what you're talking about. yeah, yeah, she she tragically died by suicide, and it was someone who you think would never, right? She just no. looked wonderful. Her life was great. She had all these achievements, but depression, no one's immune. No. And um, and I think for me, it was a combination of having a family history of it, along with the situation that just was like totally put me in a, put me in a bad place. Now, how was your marriage at this time? Like, so you're obviously depressed, but like you said, you're yeah. working at a church and like, obviously your husband knows that you're dealing with depression, but like, what was your marriage like? Um, it was okay. Mm-hmm. I think it was good in the sense that my husband, he was always good. Like he was always like yeah. a really intentional, thoughtful, wonderful husband, I, I think I was struggling with like self-sabotaging the marriage. Mm-hmm. Like I, it, instead of wanting to tell him, I would have rather he, he just left me. And so I feel like I was kind of, I was angry and I was mean to him and I wasn't That makes like, sense. Just, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it was, but at the same time, I loved him and he was my best friend. It's just yeah. weird, like so hard to explain. Totally. Timing of 11 months where I would just say we were doing life together, but I, I don't think there were any roots connected. I don't know if that makes sense. Like It does. It absolutely does. Yeah. It was, I, I guess, especially when I compare it to like our life today, I would just say we were, there was no real intimacy. Mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. physically you can be intimate and still yes. not be experiencing intimacy. And so I would say we, I was going through the motions. Okay. Yeah, totally. Um, which I was doing in all areas of my life. And I was really good at hiding the depression. And so I end up, I'm at this church and somebody else who was working at the church at the time becomes my mentor. Mm -hmm. And the way that that even came to be, I tell that story in the first two chapters of the book Mm -hmm. is really beautiful. Like I really truly believe that God put her in my life and put her on my path for the very specific reason of helping me navigate confession and healing and choosing life and Mm -hmm. not dying um, because that's truly how bad it got. So I end up telling her on a random Tuesday afternoon, it it essentially bubbled to the surface. I could not contain it any longer. Um, I had to tell I was, it was like a life or death situation. Like I'm either going to tell or I'm leaving this earth and no one's going to know this thing about Mm. me and I'm just going to take it to my grave. Yeah. And I told her Mm. and she, people have asked me why her? Yeah. Well, she was like, the woman that I wanted to be. And I know mm. that sounds maybe a little, like it almost sounds like I put her too high up on the pedestal, but I just meant like, she's a woman who is older than me, wiser yep. than me. I I just saw something in her and I was like, I want what she has. Yeah. And what I didn't recognize that she had at the time was freedom yeah. and integrity mm-hmm. and that freedom that comes from integrity. And like, she had some stuff in her past that she had opened up to me about. So I think I also just felt safe. Mm-hmm. To not be perfect, totally. which is something that I had struggled with 
tying all the way back to childhood stuff. Mm -hmm. And so she didn't promise me that my husband was going to stay with me. She Mm -hmm. didn't promise me that like everything was going to be, everything's going to work out and it's going to be just fine. She didn't make those false promises. She just promised me that life was worth living. Mm -hmm. And that on the other side of confessing to my husband, she would be there to navigate that journey with me as my friend and my mentor. Mm -hmm. And I... I don't remember all the words she said. In fact, I I remember very few words that she said, but I remember how she made me feel in that moment. It was so hopeful. Hmm. And it was so like, the world isn't going to end. I can stay alive. I can be here. And Hmm. this might play out really messy, but like I, there will be uh, some good in it. Like some, I I don't know. It was like hard to explain. So yeah. there was actually only 15 minutes between telling her and our us wrapping up our conversation and me getting to our apartment in Chicago where my husband was. We didn't have any kids, hadn't fostered. This is all right. pre those days. Um, and getting to where he was to tell him. Wow. And so secret for 11 months, tell yeah. my mentor 15 minutes later, like tell my husband, I like burst through the door. I was crying. I looked disheveled and a mess. And I just said, I got to tell you something. And I told him, mm. and I, I almost needed to do that because I would all like, there'd been other times in those 11 months that I had almost told him. I sure. Told him. I, was yeah. like, I have to just do it. Yeah. And yeah, his reaction, I think his initial reaction even is such a like, evidence of who he is and how our story played out. So yeah. yeah. So tell us about that. What was his reaction? Yeah. Very first words out of his mouth. Like he's kind of shocked, like standing there and he's like, but I, but I still love you. And it was so beautiful. It was like, kind of like a question. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what? Like, I still love you. And that, was really beautiful and really impactful and aligned so much with what I think the Holy Spirit had been whispering to me all along, which is you don't need to die. Like you don't need to leave this earth. Like there's still yeah. so much here for you. Trust me that there is life and abundance and freedom on the other side. Again, mm. no promises of my marriage staying together, but I did hear, sure. yeah. I, I had over time felt like the Lord had pushed me towards confession and trusting that on the other side was freedom. Yeah. And so those words were were beautiful. And now I don't want to over romanticize it. The days that followed, you know, they're terrible. Was, oh, awful. Because mm-hmm. of course he had to go through all the stages of grief. He had more totally. questions. It was not like, I don't want anyone to think like, okay, this and is it was not great. real. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they went on to foster these kids and live happily ever after. Yeah. Not quite. Right. So, um, we never considered divorce. That question gets asked a lot. We, uh, and, and I credit my husband to that because at that point, it's not my, it's not my decision. right? Right. I knew I wanted to be with him. We've already clarified that. Yes. But as far as divorce goes, like with me having done this, he had every right to say, I don't want to do this anymore or I'm out. And totally. Oh. And we've we've talked about that since. And he's given me a few reasons as to why he was, I would say, on the quicker side to forgive and want to repair our marriage. Uh-huh. And some of what he's told me is he said that even though it, he was devastated when he found out how long it had been since that uh, yeah. instance occurred, he said that he was so grateful I had the courage to come forward instead mm. of getting caught and that that alone like said more about my integrity than the actual mistake itself. And I was wow. like, I remember like weeping. This is probably months after the fact, but like mm-hmm. weeping and going like, yes, but I didn't know if you would ever like see it that way. Yes. You know, like I, yeah. I felt like he was abundantly gracious and he was very quick to say, I don't want to stay in this marriage if this is going to be a continuous oh, of issue. Course. Yeah. But if you're willing to put in the work to repair with me, like I'm all in, I want this. I love you. I married you. I knew you weren't perfect. You don't have to be perfect, but wow. we can get to the other side of this together and live a life of meaning. And and he wasn't, you know, I think perfectly satisfied in our marriage at that point, because like I said, we were kind of going through the motions. It wasn't totally. in the health, healthiest place. So that's kind of uh, the wow. start of us going to counseling and getting yes. a lot of help. Okay. (laughs) Yes. So that's what I was going to ask. So obviously, okay. I'm talking (laughs) over myself. First and foremost, do you think that if this happens in 
any relationship, do you think that reconciliation is like the right choice or is possible for everybody? Or like, what do you think about that? No, I don't. Um, and I, I don't want to be a, like a downer or discouraging, but in right. all actuality and, and being real with you, cause I've now talked to lots of couples and people, and I guess being the one that was the offender in the, in the mm-hmm. situation of infidelity, I can, I can say with pretty full confidence that there's a few things that I can offer. Number one, if someone comes forward instead of getting caught, I think your odds are in favor of being able to reconcile because mm-hmm. if someone comes forward when they hadn't been caught after a certain amount of time, totally. you were never like going to get caught. I was never going to get caught. And, and no. there's actually details that I won't share, but that could really solidify. I truly, it, it was something that I could have just kept secret forever. Yeah. Um, but I chose not to, right? So if somebody comes forward, I think that's a really huge uh, step in the right direction and something I would very much encourage. Uh, another thing is that if someone tries to justify or blame or say, well, you didn't show me enough attention or whatever the case is, if they don't take ownership, totally. like for me, no excuses, apologize, repent, remorse, and and say, you know, it is on me to do this work. Yes, there are things that we need to do together. It takes two for sure. Sure. But like my husband, even, even if he had been a crappy husband, which he hadn't been, but even mm-hmm. if he had, or even if he lacked in certain ways, it doesn't ever justify or excuse a choice like stepping outside of my marriage and being unfaithful. So, so I would say the ownership piece is really important. And if somebody's taking ownership and they are very much remorseful and not defensive of their decisions and their actions, that's a huge sign of, uh, that they might be ready to try and reconcile. And then the other thing I would say is, does the person who committed the offense take initiative Mm. towards the healing? You shouldn't have to, as the person who's been cheated on, let's say, you shouldn't have to drag yourself to therapy and want yeah. them to do the work. Do they take initiative? And so for, for us, that was another, I think, sign of that this was possible was I very much said, you know, I came forward and confessed. I took ownership. It's not about you. This is a me issue. I'm going to do the individual work alongside our, our couples counseling to get yeah. to the root. I, um, and I took initiative. I scheduled that. I made that happen. And then I went out of my way and continue to throughout our life because healing is an ongoing journey. It's not a one and done thing right. to be the one that uh, says to him, you know, hey, do you know, what can I do to make sure you're comfortable in this situation? Not, I don't want to use the word cater because that sounds like he's so needy. That's not what I'm trying to paint a picture of. But no, I understand um, when you when there's a betrayal of trust. Yes. I can't get annoyed if my yes. partner is struggling with feeling insecure in our relationship. And so for years, you have to be ready to be the one to say, because I did this, I understand that I have to just show a little extra care. Be extra sensitive to them. Yeah. yeah, To what's happening here. And so we just have, uh, there's so much I could get into, but I will say we have such a transparent marriage to this day in all things. And, um, and, and I think that's how it should be. It probably should have been that way all along. But yeah. I'm, I'm grateful we're here now. I just hate that it took what it took for us to get there. Yeah, totally. I want to get into that. But really quickly, I did want to just call it out that you kept saying like, you know, me being the offender in the situation, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's really unusual. Like, I really have to commend you. It's very unusual to hear a story of infidelity in a marriage where the woman is the offender, especially in Christian circles and who's willing to talk about it. Like you can easily find women to talk about infidelity in their marriage where their husband cheated on them and they either reconciled or divorced, whatever. Like there's all, there's lots of those stories, unfortunately. But Mm -hmm. why do you think that your story is so unique? And do you think that women are like shamed more than men? Like what is your thought on that whole thing? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought this up because when I set out to write a book and share this as a large part of the book, it was because everywhere I turned, especially in Christian circles, I heard about this type of thing, but it was the husband always cheated on his wife. And I felt so alone in my struggles and I knew I couldn't be the only one. In fact, I had a therapist who said, you would not believe Mm. the number of women who actually struggle. And, and I think emotional affairs tend to be more common, but for me that led to the physical. And so I I, I was like, and, and physical or not, like, it's not okay. And we don't have to live like this. And so I basically said to my husband, I remember when I was writing my book and I was trying to avoid 
telling that story, but it was kind of impossible to, to go where I was going with the book without sharing it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's like, how do you really reveal what, like, how, it's impossible not to reveal God's goodness and grace and talk about this healing if you don't talk about what you've been healed from and like totally. the mess you've been brought out of. Anyways, so I remember when I said to my husband, like, hey, I think I'm going there. Like, are you okay with that? And all this mm-hmm. stuff. So we we kind of navigated that together and determined how much to share and what to share. Yeah. Um, but I I told him, I know that there are so many other women like me who mm-hmm. are struggling in secrecy because they're so ashamed and they're probably so depressed. And they might also be struggling to wonder if they have any reason to stay alive on this earth. Because yeah, yeah society will eat you up and or chew you up and spit you out. And like, yeah. I will say I experienced that when this book came out, there was of course some people who very much was, were grateful for my vulnerability and willingness to go first, so to speak. Yeah. Because let me just say, side note, there have been hundreds, hundreds of people who've emailed me, DM'd I'm me, sure. contacted me some way to say as a woman that they too had done this or it's part of their story yeah. and they, they could relate. And so I essentially right away it was confirmed okay i'm not crazy this is this is not just me and there's a need for someone to go first i did that but but at the same time have there been a lot of people who have uh canceled me or oh, really or oh yes absolutely and i think because we get as women we're held to a different standard than men i think men we're taught and even especially in the christian world with any books that have to do with sex even we're taught that like this is their need. And yeah. so when they, when they mess up, it's like, it's okay. Yes. Um, we, we meet them with grace, especially if a man comes out and says like, this is my past. I'm healed. If a man were sitting in my shoes right now and sharing the exact story, we would say, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Amazing. We would applaud them. They told, you know, they're telling their story. They're helping so many people. For some reason, a lot of people do not treat me as a woman that same way. It's like, well, who are you to be giving any, it's like, I don't yeah. know if you're ready, but how do you know you're ready to use that to help people? And how do you, how do you know? I've actually had the question, how do you know you won't do it again? Oof, oof, oof. Which I have an answer for, but it's like, man, I met with a much more brutal response yeah. than the uh, grace put you on a pedestal response that we do for, for so many men. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, honestly, like, I'm sorry on behalf of like society that, cause I agree with you. I think that that's, I do think women are shamed more than men for a lot of things, but this in particular, like, you're right. Like, I feel like a man can come forward and share that this is part of his past and like, he's been changed and people are like, oh, that is so amazing. You know what I mean? And then the fact that you can share it and a lot of people will be like, I judge her, you know, it's like, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, because there are people who won't relate and especially people whose struggles are very different from mine, who've never Mm -hmm. struggled with attention-seeking behavior or anything, you know, getting into my struggle. Like people who have different struggles that can't relate, those women, some of those women have been the harshest critics of my story. And and the reality, what's funny to me is you can be a critic of the book because it's a book that's open to it, but you can't criticize my story. It's my story. It's just- Uh, Yeah, totally. you don't have to like me, but like, yeah, it's been interesting. And so when I wrote my book, Soul Care to Save Your Life, I did it not only for women like me, but, and as you know, because you've got to read it, mm-hmm. I wrote it because we all have a struggle that we'd rather keep hidden. Totally. It might be, it might seem minuscule compared to mine, but we all, I think in some way feel the need to present as perfect mm-hmm. when really like us and our lives rarely are even close to it. And so I said, I'm going to go first and I know it's going to be met with criticism, but I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And I did it. And here I am three months later, I'm surviving. It's all good. (laughs) Well, thank you. Honestly, like, thank you for your vulnerability and for being bold. And honestly, I'm sure you're an eight on the Enneagram, right? Yes. That probably helped. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yes. But uh, truly though, like that takes a lot of bravery to go first. It really, really, really does on for you, amazing. And also like awesome for your husband to be like, yeah, I do this because I think it'll help people. I just think that that's really, really cool. So listen, that was a perfect transition because your book, Soul Care to Save Your Life. So tell us like, what is soul care? 
Like, talk to me about that. Yeah, I love that you asked because I think people picture like bubble baths and like the typical self-care. Self-care, yes. And I would say I chose the word soul care because it's caring for your soul. It's tending to the inner workings of you. Mm -hmm. It's, It's taking care of all the stuff that no one can see. So no one can see that you struggle with jealousy. No one Mm. can see that you struggle with attention-seeking behavior. No one can see that you struggle with, you know, whatever it is. There there are so many things we could name, but it's about all of the inner unseen stuff that Mm -hmm. we're dealing with as humans that have huge impact on our lives, our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, our kids, everything. And if we, I, I got to the point in my life where I realized that nothing matters more than the condition of my soul. Like mm. I need to pursue caring for my soul. Like it, it that, like my life depends on it right? because it does. Yeah, I realized it does. And mm-hmm. I obviously realized that through a really big consequential, you know, mistake in my life. But I think just as much as that impacted me, so does, um, friendships and the the turmoil that exists sometimes in friendships. And, you know, we, we have to pay attention in our lives to lots of things that I think we'd rather not because it's painful. Yeah. We don't necessarily want to look in the mirror or dig yeah. deep. And that's why I wrote Soul Care to Save Your Life. And that's yeah. what soul care, soul care is all about is looking inward and, and taking care of those parts of yourself that no one can see. Yeah. You talk a lot in your book about therapy. And like, you've mentioned it in this interview already about how you and your husband, after this whole thing came out, you go together, you go on your own. Like there's a lot of that. And that brought out a lot of your struggles from your childhood that like it unearthed all of that stuff in you. It helped you to be able to see like the reason that you're able to look back on your story and like speak so clearly about it and talk about, oh, I was, you know, I loved like when men would desire me and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. It's because of the therapy that you've gone through that you were able to understand this about yourself. Totally. Now that you do understand all that stuff about yourself, you know, about your past and all of the things that like you have a tendency toward or whatever, how do you continue to fight against those things today? Like, how do you still- deal with them. You know what I mean? Cause it's not just going to like go away. You're right. It doesn't just go away. What I will say though, is saying out loud, the very things that tempt us or that we struggle with, they mm. lose their power. Yeah. Like yeah. there is, there is some sort of magic. I call it magic, but then whatever you want to call it, there's sure. something that happens when you can own, when you can one identify and be aware enough to own Mm-hmm. that something is a struggle and say it out loud. I mean, yeah. it really does lose its power. The more I've been able to say out loud, and now I do it so often publicly, it's like second nature to me. But sure. the more the more I say out loud, like I struggle with affirmation from men and I, yeah. I can easily get kind of addicted and, and sort of feed off of um, that praise and that affirmation. The more I say that out loud, the easier it becomes for me to recognize when mm. I'm feeling a hint of it. So um, I notice very quickly in an interaction if I'm feeling uh, like, like I like, I'm getting a fix off of someone's yeah, uh, totally. attention. I know totally. that sounds like really weird. It's like an addict's behavior. Right? I, I can sense that. And so because I can sense that, the healing work, the, the part that's on me then is what I do with that. Mm-hmm. I can either uh, lean into it and like keep feeding off of it and really get a fix which is tends to lead me again. It's those small yeses that lead towards big, bad yeses, right? Mm -hmm. Or I can identify it and correct. And it's not just really correcting behavior. It's really correcting my heart posture. And so it's, uh, it's a whole process. My husband and I actually ask each other three questions once a week. It's usually on Sunday night, but that we have this rhythm in our life. And I won't say all three questions, but I'll say one because as it pertains to this conversation, and that is, is there anything weighing on your conscience that you need to tell me Mm. that you want to open up to me about? And the reason we actually face each other and ask each other that question, which we learned in therapy, thank you, is um, it allows an opportunity for us to confess anything, any of those small things before they become big things. So I I can say to my husband, I'll give a real tangible example, even though it's it's kind of embarrassing. Well, let's say that you are, um, let's say that you're a guy and you're a podcast host and we, you know, we're really hitting it off. And I just felt 
what's going on inside of me being like, oh, like he likes me or I feel like, or he complimented my outfit or I yeah. don't know, whatever. Totally. And then tonight or, or, or sometimes we, you know, get to the week and I do it then I would say, Hey, I was feeling really pursued or oddly like flirted with by that guy I was talking to. And I, I really liked it. Yeah. And I want to confess to you out loud that I, that that is something that came up for me. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds like so weird and it used to be so no. awkward, but it, it's really not awkward for me anymore. Um, or my husband, because I think we just know that the more we can do that, the deeper our intimacy is, the more mm-hmm. transparency we have, the deeper our intimacy, and therefore it cuts it off. Whereas if I were to let that go and mm-hmm. like just think like, oh, it doesn't matter, just like whatever. Yeah. Then the next time I'm in a conversation with that person, or maybe that guy tweets at me or DMs me or you know, slips into my life a little deeper somehow, it's like a slippery slope. And mm-hmm. I am aware of that for me. It's like for uh, someone who has a drinking problem. Um, if they take a sip and they think, oh, it's no big deal, I won't say anything, you know, it can lead one thing leads to another and they totally. can spiral. It's it's just that we don't talk about it in the context of this type of thing because these are the things that no one can see. There's no like physical evidence of it. Yep. So it's something it's going on inside of me, and the best way for me to deal with it is to share it out loud. Um, there's a million other ways that yeah. I choose to pursue ongoing healing, and that's why I wrote that book because yeah. each chapter, all 15 chapters, have a soul care practice, a practice that is not a task you can just check off your to-do list, Mm -hmm. but rather a way of living, a part of my lifestyle that I am uh, very intentional about because I had to really exchange habits. I had some unhealthy ways of living and interacting with people in the world that needed to be um, changed or replaced for better habits. I, I no longer think we can just say, well, stop doing that. Like mm-hmm. when I say to my toddler, don't touch the cookie. What's he going right. to want to do? Of course. Touch the cookie. Yep. So we have to replace. So what we do is we redirect the focus. Mm-hmm. I do this for my toddler. Don't touch the cookie. Oh, do you want this piece of watermelon? And yeah. all of a sudden he's over to the watermelon, right? So as adults, even with whatever it is that we struggle with, it's not good enough to just say, I'm not going to do this anymore. If I would have just continued um, to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, I'm not going to uh, do... Yeah, like interact with guys this way or feed off of this. I can I can guarantee you this would have been a cyclical thing in my life. Totally. Absolutely. But the healing came from the confession and the choice that I am going to change my habits and change my ways. And so yeah. I does that answer the question? I feel like yes, I it does. <laughs> no, no, okay. I love that. And something I also love about that confession that you and your husband do every week is that that is good for all marriages. Like if someone's listening to this and they're like, oh, like we don't have infidelity in our story. This doesn't apply to me. It does. Because like you said, no one is immune. Like little yeses can lead to big yeses. And that might be infidelity. It might be porn usage. It might be something completely unrelated. Like like you said, alcohol, like whatever. But the point is like little things can become big things when they're not confessed. And I think that that's really huge because we don't really... I don't know. We don't think about that. Like we're, cause we, it's easy to write it off as like, well, I'm not going to tell him that like mm-hmm. this guy was flirting with me and I liked it because like, that's just going to make him upset. And like, why would I want to make him upset? Right. Right. Yeah. And so it's easy to write it off. Totally. Yeah. It, you're, you're absolutely right. That question's a great one for every marriage because also how often are we courageous enough, or maybe I'll just speak for myself. I'm not courageous enough very often to just come right out and say something really hard, I would much rather be prompted. And if Mm -hmm. somebody, I remember in those 11 months that I kept it a secret, I actually remember a time where I was like, oh, I wish he wasn't so oblivious and would just ask me if there was ever something Mm. between me and and that person. Because if he would just ask me, then I'll just say it. I'll just say it. But he was never going to ask. One, because because to know my husband is to know he's so trusting and he's, he was just like, that wasn't even on his radar. And, um, and not that it was his job to ask me. I'm just saying that that question now on a weekly basis provides a really great prompt for both of us. And my husband, he wouldn't mind if I share this. It's a great opportunity for him to share. Hey, I've, I've really been missing connecting with you physically. It feels like we've been a little disconnected. And I, and, and I noticed that, um, in these times where we're not connecting as much physically, you know, 
if I'm on Instagram and the explore feed shows me one image, I can click through. And before you know it, I'm looking at something that I probably shouldn't be looking at. I mean, we have had real conversations where that is confessed. Mm -hmm. And what I will say as kind of another disclaimer to all this is that this only works if you have created a safe, gracious space with your partner. Because if we react to one another's confessions with more shame or like, how could you do this to me? Like if, if we react angry and shameful, that tells them, don't say that. Don't do it again. again. Don't do it again. Don't tell them again. Yeah. And so we've worked really hard, not perfectly, but to create that safe, gracious space so that when either of us are making any confession at all, we we can receive it and we can, yes, you can be angry, but there's a way to go about uh, communication with your spouse that doesn't make it so they shut down and won't tell you something the next time. Because that's the last totally. thing I Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, because, you know, we touched on this already, but like you decided to go really public with your story. Obviously, hello, you wrote a book. You're doing interviews yeah, about yeah. it. Like this is, <laughs> you know, it's not like I've only told our closest friends. You know what I mean? So I want to read two separate quotes from your book and then talk about how they can go together. So you said, every time we let someone in on the hardest part of our marriage and my personal rock bottom, we are humbled. I've learned that when you come out of hiding, you discover so many people, even in your inner circle, who have struggled with the same sin as you. Instead of feeling embarrassed, you realize you are not the only one, which in itself is a flicker of light in the darkness which I love that hence, hello, this podcast, like sharing our stories, like there's so much commonality that we find between one another. And there's aspects, like there are people that are listening to this right now that haven't had any infidelity in their marriage, but they're relating to so many things that you're saying. And that's why I think that it's so important. But you also said in your book, you also expressed that there's wisdom in not sharing too much before the right time. You said- yes. I think one of the biggest misconceptions today is associating authenticity with how much or little we share with others. We're confusing authenticity with transparency. So mm-hmm. talk to me about that. Like, yep. when is it like, this is good and healthy and helpful and amazing to share, but like how much is too much too soon and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, and there is no like guideline Answer. or formula. Yeah. yeah. But like, it's not like I'm going to say, oh, you have to wait two years and six days and then you can tell everyone right. in the world. Um, no, but what I will say is that wisdom withholds for the right person, place and time. Yeah. And so whether, whatever it is that maybe you've gone through, that's been hard. Maybe it's been something that was done to you mm-hmm. and that's a part of your story. Maybe it's something that you did, uh, you know, whatever it is, it could be so many things. I actually met with a woman who, who had never told anyone she had had an abortion. And she was oh, like, yeah. I think I want to come out about this. And we talked through the right person, the right place, the right time, right? And so each of us, uh, I think God equipped us with the the ability to discern that for ourselves. What I will say is that if someone's pressuring you to open up more than you want to, they're not the right person. Yeah. If if you're in a group setting, probably Mm -hmm. not the right place or time. Um, There's there's some of these obvious answers, right? And then I actually tell in the book around that, quote that you read a story of a friend at the time who yes. they were really, really good friends of ours, a husband and wife that my husband and I were really close with, but we had maybe alluded to some things in our marriage early days. Like we had probably like brought up like, Oh, we went through some hard things and we, we were very pro counseling, but we didn't really get into the why. And I remember sure. one, one night, um, and there was wine involved and there was just a lot of pressure. And she actually was kind of like, manipulating me to try to share more than I was ready to share. And we know, I I mean, our bodies can't lie. And so my body was going off, like screaming at me being like, this is not okay. This is not a safe space. And I I felt that. Right. And I got very anxious and I essentially said, you know, Oh, that's as much as like, we're really willing to share. Like we don't want to disclose more. And that was not, not good enough for her. And so (sighs) she pushed and pushed and pushed. And I remember leaving that night thinking, I, I gave away something that I wasn't ready to give away and I didn't want to give it away. And so that's where that part of the book comes from is I feel like the whole, the whole book I'm saying, like, we have to be vulnerable with one another and we need to confess to one another and we have to be, you know, let's not have secrets and let's live these transparent lives in the light. And I needed to, it's a both and disclaimer, 
wisdom does withhold for the right person, place, and time. And not yes. everyone needs to know your secrets. Not everyone is called to write a book and go public like me. Like I, that totally. is the last thing that some people should be doing. For me and my husband, I had always been a writer. It's not like I wrote a book because this happened. I had actually right. always been writing and living publicly. This just then became like another part of what I felt like I was supposed to incorporate into my journey um, as a writer. And then, you know, as far as timing goes, we've been years removed from this now. Yeah. Again, there's no magic number, but it felt like we knew that uh, somebody actually said this once and it really stuck with me. We knew we were ready to share it more publicly when the response or reaction of other people did nothing to us. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt sometimes or that we don't, you know, it doesn't sting when people say things or I don't get offended if people are like, once a cheater, always a cheater, because I, that's just, oh, one of my least favorite statements on the oh, planet. But, yes, absolutely. But um, that binary thinking. But I, I, we're not impacted. We know that our marriage is strong, that we've rebuilt trust, that we are, you know, that we're thriving. And when we knew that anything people would say or react to, to our story with wasn't going to impact us, we knew that's when we were ready. So that was just one like sort of litmus test for us was like, okay, I think we can do this. Mm -hmm. And 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 it's been true. We've been essentially unfazed by some of the people who are kicking and screaming. Um, we just have this invisible shield up. Really, yeah. You can be upset. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to understand it. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. I love that. I love that. I think that's really admirable. I think that's important. I think that's amazing. You do share one story in your book about your dad, something that happened um, when you were young, your dad and your stepmom. And I felt like that story was so illuminating about scars from your childhood, thus impacting this story that you've just told us. And also what led you and your husband into foster care. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. So I would love it. I know that we're like short on time, but I would love it if you could share that story just because I think it sheds so much light on you. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. We don't share these stories to make people feel sorry for us right. or to, to justify bad choices along our journey. But I think context does matter. And yes, it, informs, it does. It informs our decisions. And so for me, yeah, I grew up in a divorced home. My parents were both remarried multiple times. Um, during one of my dad's marriages, he and this woman had a child together. So I had a baby half sister and it was my seventh birthday. I was at my dad's for the weekend with my stepmom and my baby half sister. My dad and her got into, um, an argument about ice cream flavors. I, I do recall that. And then the rest is kind of a blur, but it basically turned into one of the biggest physical domestic altercations in the living room. Um, it became like world war three. And so nice. Um, the glass was shattered, you know, our, we had this co glass coffee table, my dad, like threw my stepmom threw it and, um, it shattered and they're beating each other up. Essentially. Um, my baby half sister was like in a bouncy chair thing in the living room. And like something had gotten thrown that like hit her. And so she's Ugh. screaming. It was just like, I mean, it was very traumatic. Ugh. And at seven years old, somehow by the grace of God, I call the police. Um, when they arrived, my dad was handcuffed and taken to jail. My stepmom was taken in an ambulance on, I remember seeing her on a stretcher and a social worker came to talk to me and my baby half sister. And that story, I always say, you know, the catastrophes of our lives are often the catalyst of our calling. Mm -hmm. And that was true for me. That catastrophe like marked me like that day has, I, I still do somatic therapy, which is like breath body work therapy, because I can be, I get so triggered in, mm. in my life. And I know that's like kind of a really trendy buzzword, but I actually mean it yeah. like, um, full-blown panic attack type triggers. And yeah. so I still do therapy to recover. So that, that catastrophe, that day in my life, it did two things. It was the catalyst for a calling. I, I wouldn't say that at seven years old, the next day I'm like, you know, I think I want to be a foster parent. Right. No. Yeah. But as sure. I grew up, the seeds were planted and they kind of got watered and I grew passionate. And I think the older I got and the more I recognized that what I had been through wasn't normal, nor was it healthy, but that there were a lot of other kids who were in similar situations in mm -hmm. one way or another. Um, I got passionate about being a foster parent. And so it was yeah. always a plan. And when my husband and I were married, um, the first couple of years, we were dealing with our own stuff. 
that we've just yeah, talked all obviously, about. Obviously, yes. But we did always have a plan to foster. And so it was once we got through all of that, I remember it was such a cool moment where we were so unified. We're like, I think we're ready. Like now we've done our work to heal and it will be ongoing. It's not over. Right. But like we're we're in this together. Yeah. I think I think we should pursue this thing. And our life then became this mission together. And so we've been fostering ever since. And um we've had 16 different kids come through wow. our care. Some some of those were like three or four kids at a time because they sure, were part yeah. of the a sibling set. But um, yeah, the that day though, it informed not only that part of my life, but I think it helps people understand too. Just a glimpse that, again, my dad's not a monster. He's not a bad person, but he made some really bad choices. And throughout my life, our relationship has been really rocky and really hard. And he hasn't been able to, and, and especially when I needed it most as a child. Yeah wasn't able to fulfill what a dad's role should. And I, I think that what ended up happening was I started searching for love in all the wrong places. And yeah. I can, I, t- I talk about it in the book, like I can use yeah. desire for love, which when yep. you do that, it gets really messy because desire says, I want you, which feels really good. Yeah. But love says, I want what's best for you. Yeah. And that is very different. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. So that was the start of our foster care journey. Kind of brings everything full circle. Totally. And, uh, and now we continue to work with and partner with families who are in crisis today. I love it. I love it. I mean, there's so you talk a lot about the fostering stuff in the book. So people go get the book, Soul Care to Save Your Life. You can get it on Amazon and yep. wherever you buy books. <laughs> and where can we find you online? Yeah. Manda Carpenter. So on Instagram, it's just Manda Carpenter. My website is mandacarpenter.com. That's where you can find all the things that I'm up to and offering for people who are listening that might be interested. And I know you're on a break from your podcast, but it's coming back. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. It is. Thank you. I love yours, by the way. This is fun. Um, it's not very often that I get to like be on other people's podcasts. Yeah. But yeah mine, mine is called A Longer Table Podcast. and it Which exists. I love that. I love that name. Thank you. It, that is my life's mission. Actually, yeah. my husband and I, that is like the mission we're on is to build longer tables, not higher fences. And so yeah. one way that I do that is through the podcast, inviting a multitude of perspectives that are different from mine. Uh, some that are the same and that's fun conversation, but I really search for people whose perspectives are different from mine to I like pull that. up a seat at the table and to have a conversation about anything and everything. So it's fun. Yeah. It'll be back in the new year. I like that. And that's risky, right? Like to go into uh, an interview, like that would make me sweat. Like if you're like, okay, I do have a different perspective from this person, but I think that that's huge. It makes for such good content. Yeah, it's real. It's great. It's fun to show people too, to kind of get to model that we can be in relationship Mm -hmm. with people that see the world very differently than we do, that vote differently than we do, that Mm -hmm. believe differently than we do and come from a different background than us. So yeah, it's taught me so much. It's opened my eyes so much. Yeah, it's so hard to hate someone. It's easy to hate someone on social media, okay? It's really hard to hate someone when you actually sit down and talk to them and hear their story. Totally, yep. And then you understand why they, like you said, vote the way that they vote or whatever. You know what I That's, mean? Like, yes, you're, you're, you're basically saying the quote that I always say, this is the quote that people talk about most in the book too. And I was saying it long before I wrote the book, but like, my belief is that there isn't a single person we would not love if we knew their story. Yeah. I really believe it. It's like a theory that I keep putting to the test yeah. and it continues to prove true. Um, so yeah, if you're into that sort of thing, come, come hang out on a longer table. Totally. I mean, I have not... I don't think had an interview for this podcast yet. We're at the end of it. I didn't feel like a genuine affection for the person I was just talking to and like feel like they're my friend. Like absolutely. If they were in town, I would have them over and it would not even be awkward at all, even though I've never really met them. Like you sit down (laughs) and talk to someone for an hour and it's like, I don't know. You develop just such an affection for people. I I feel that way. Yeah. Thank you. So I got to ask you before I let you go, what is your favorite snack right now? Oh. Okay, don't make fun of me because I feel like this is kind of an old lady answer. But we love Milano, old ladies. You know the Milano brand of cookies, Milano yes. double dark chocolate. Okay, but I have to have oat milk. I dip them in oat milk. And that okay. is like my nightly snack right now. And the reason I joke that it's an old lady thing is because my friends are all like, there's so many cookies. You choose Milano's. <laughs> hey, whatever you like. 
I know. It's my jam. I love that. And you know what? The oat milk, I want to go on an oat milk journey because like I've always just like purchased almond milk and I like it uh-huh. and it's fine. My sister has oat milk and I was at her apartment like a few months ago, whatever. She made me coffee with some like steamed oat milk. And I was like, oh, hello. Like I need to start. This is really good. It's like very delicious. It's creamy and yeah. like it's it's creamier than almond milk. I feel like now when I go back to almond milk, it's like too watery for me. Yes. But I'm not a nutritionist, so I have no idea what's healthier. Probably whatever. Not the oh, <laughs> oh, but I who cares? Yeah, I made the switch and I've never looked back. I'm gonna, I have to buy some. I have to get some because anytime I, I'm like with, or if I'm like at Starbucks now, I'll get like a latte with oat milk and I'm like, I love this. Why well, I have to remember to buy it? I have yes, to do this. It's so good. Love it. Amanda, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Like, I appreciate your vulnerability. I appreciate you sharing. You said so many, so many quotable things. It's like too many to even count. Like, for real, absolutely love talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. Parable Productions.